Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, a family law lawyer and partner at Brody Thorning LLP. Welcome to Divorcing Well. Welcome to Divorcing Well. In this week's episode, we're talking about a very important topic, which is getting smart about your money in in a divorce setting. But it's getting smart about your money is important, even in a marriage setting and and at any point in life. But it comes up so often in divorce. And I'm really excited to have on the podcast today, Jennifer Lawrence, who is an expert in this topic. And she's going to have some great information for listeners. So welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. Why don't you start by telling listeners a little bit about what you do and how you came to work in this area? Absolutely. I am a divorce coach and concierge um, based in the greater Toronto area, but I do work with clients in the U.S. and Canada. Um, My background was finance and banking from a long time ago, and then I actually stayed at home with my kids, um, went through a couple of divorces. And after the first one, even though I had, you know, a finance and banking background, I had really lost touch with, you know, managing money, investing, all of that kind of stuff. And I found it such a huge learning curve. For my second divorce, it was so much easier because I'd taken the time in between to educate myself about finances, the legal process, kind of all of the elements of divorce. So after my second divorce was so easy, I thought, I, you know, I wonder if there's some way I can help other people through this. And there is a profession divorce coaching. And so I went and got my certifications for that. And I'm also a certified divorce financial analyst. So my specialty is really helping women, particularly those who have maybe been at home and haven't been managing the investments or their own money, um, figure out how to navigate divorce, because there are so many financial decisions in divorce. I mean, I think before you go through divorce, you think it's an emotional process, but you quickly learn it is a, it's a business negotiation. And finances are a huge element of that. And so, you know, you need to educate yourself financially quite quickly so that you can make good divorce decisions. So, you know, I really help clients get a good team around them so that they can work with their lawyers and come up with a settlement that really works for them. And I think that that's so great because there's so many of the divorce coaches that I come across and that I've worked with, they're really just focused on the emotional aspect and, you know, saying to the client that, you know, I can help you save money with your lawyer because you can do all the emotional stuff with me and you can focus on using your lawyer for the money part. But I, I think, and the, emotion, the emotional part is, of course, important, but I think having a divorce coach who can help. Um, with the money make the money part and making you know making that less overwhelming and helping clients make decisions on things like that I think that that is just wonderful and so important and helpful yeah and people are in that you know emotional they're in that very primitive brain because usually they're dealing with the loss of the relationship and so they're not positioned particularly well to make great decisions but you know, divorce, like any other business, time is of the essence, and there's a a window to negotiate. And so it's helping to point out some of the, you know, decision making pitfalls, common mistakes people make. Um, I wrote a book on decision making a few years ago. um, And so I've decided to, you know, apply that same methodology to divorce, to help my clients get some clarity around these things. Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, emerge from divorce and realize that you've made a lot of emotionally driven decisions instead of good business decisions that are going to serve you well and give you the freedom to move forward in the long term. 
Exactly. Because, and that's something I'm always saying to clients because when they're feeling these intense emotions and their stress, they sometimes just want to make a quick decision that'll get rid of all the stress, but it might not be in their interest in the long term if they're forfeiting a bunch of money that they're legally entitled to that, you know, could make their life and the children's life a lot better down the road. So they have to be long term focused. Absolutely. And so it's about tying it to their goals. You know, it's like figure out your goals and then let's, you know, work with your lawyer to structure a settlement that works for that. But if you can't articulate your long term goals to your lawyer, you know, they, they can't really work with you as effectively. So it's that really goal driven decision making. And I just find that the entire legal team, your finance person, your lawyer can work with you so much more effectively when you can articulate what it is that you really want. Exactly. Now, what are some of the common problems that you see your clients facing when it comes to their finances? A really big one, because, you know, as I say, it's, it's, I tend to work with that demographic of, of women who have not been the earners, and they really think of the money as his money, their former spouse's money. And they, they talk about, you know, it's his money, his house. Um, and even when their lawyers are, are telling them, you know, the, the, the law is generally that money made during the duration of the marriage is joint. It's that it's fixing that money mindset more than anything else that, you know, you will be entitled to a portion of this money and then you are going to be managing it the way you want. And I find so many of my clients find that prospect terrifying, whereas, you know, it it should be, I mean, it's a learning curve and learning curves are always scary since it's out of your comfort zone, but in a way it should also be exciting because, you know, money to me is really about power and freedom. And so having money that you start to see of as your own and you're a steward for it and you want to invest it and you have plans for it, shifting that mindset from being you know, often women are the spenders, you know, because they're the ones getting the groceries, paying for the kids activities, sort of doing all this stuff. And so getting them in the mindset of, you know, this is my money, I'm a steward, I want to grow this money and having them work with financial planners and get investment strategies in place and educate themselves about the world of money. Um, it can be an exciting thing, but you have to get over that mental block first. So for me, money mindset is Every bit as important as learning about, you know, RSP contributions or learning how, you know, restricted share units work with, um, you know, perhaps an executive spouse's compensation. So it's really getting into that mindset. I find that's the biggest hurdle. And once that hurdle's overcome, you know, educating yourself, it's just another language to learn. It's kind of like, you know, learning uh, French or something because you want to go to Paris. You don't have to know everything about it because you're going to hire some experts to help you. But you do need to know enough. Yes, I totally agree with that. Why do you think so many women struggle with these problems? I think we are conditioned from a very young age. I mean, whether it's the, you know, kind of the princess motif that we're going to be saved. Women tend to not talk about money. It's quite a taboo subject. Um, you know, I find women will talk about, you know, sex and relationships and things far more openly than they will about money. Um, you know, money worries, what they're investing in, the markets. And it just seems like it is a social taboo, particularly, you know, the, the group I work in, I, I um, you know, my, my kids were born at sort of the height of the mommy wars, where it was these, you know, sort of the stay at home women and the working women. And, you know, money just became this sort of like, 
oh, it's it's almost a status symbol to not talk about money, to not <laughs> have to worry about money, which is so backwards because, you know, you should learn about money in your relationship. Everyone should know about money. They should teach about money in schools. And, you know, they're starting to do that, but they still don't do a very good job. To me, it's, I love the girl boss movement that we're starting to see with millennials where it's like cool to know about your money and it's cool to be part of an investment club. And, you know, I think it is starting, but we still do need to break that taboo that somehow it's just impolite and not feminine to talk about and to care about money. But I mean, money is about power, social status, freedom, all of these really good things. Um, But somehow as women, we're just not supposed to talk about it. And, you know, with my clients, again, that's a big mindset shift that it's cool to be on top of your money. It's cool to be able to, you know, get the right investment people in place so that your money grows. That's a good thing. So again, it's all about mindset. No, I so agree. And it's interesting, you touched upon, um, you know, with women that maybe money or talking about money isn't seen as feminine. And I do see that as being a problem because even just being, even just earning a lot of money, it's viewed as a more, you know, I'm in a career that is kind of more of a masculine, even though there's lots of women lawyers, it's kind of, you're more in your, your masculine energy as a lawyer because the qualities you need to to do the job properly are are more in that masculine energy. And so, you know, the idea of, of earning a lot of money, um, being the breadwinner for the family, you know, things like that, even though we've, you know, come a long way in the women's movement, it still seems that in the majority of households, the, you know, the male is the breadwinner, the, ma- the major breadwinner, like the women, yeah. the woman might work outside the home, but usually she's in a lot of situations earning, you know, less. And there's still this, you know, even in the dating world and whatnot, you know, oh, if a for woman sure. earns more money than a man. And, and I know that's something, you know, even I personally, because I'm divorced and I'm out there dating and, and it, it's something, you know, I have to sometimes think about how I feel if I'm the one earning more and, and how does the man feel and, and those sorts of things. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting that we still haven't really, I think, as a society come to terms with that, or it, it's still an it's, issue. It's true. And I find women sanction each other. Like I, I lived in the city in Toronto for a long time and I was an investment banker and I was surrounded by other women who made money and we, we talked more about money. And then I moved to, you know, quite a wealthy suburb And, um, you know, at parties and stuff, I would sometimes be standing talking to the men about, you know, the economy or, you know, investments. And I would look over and people are kind of shooting me these looks because I'm supposed to be in the kitchen talking about renovations, I guess. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I don't really want to talk about renovations. And I mean, I'm very feminine. I love fashion. I spend far too much on fashion. I love, you know, I love all that. Um, But it, it it's true. It's that it's seen as the male domain. Whereas, I mean, money is so much about freedom. And often the pivot for me, the pivot point with clients is when I can focus the money as it pertains to their kids. Like, don't you want options for your kids? Don't you want to decide what schools, universities, activities they'll take care of? You know, what legacy do you want to build and leave for them? You know, only then does it seem like some women are able to get their minds around growing their money because, you know, they're, they're doing it as a mom. Because it is still taboo, I think, for women to say, I like money, I want to be successful. 
And I think that's a really cool thing. I think we're still sanctioned not only by men, but more so by each other, which is, you know, the thing that I find troubling. Like, I would love to see there being a lot more investment clubs of women, you know, instead of book club, investment club. And um, yeah. and so I think we still do have a ways to go. I mean, I'm happy that I'm starting to see it among younger millennials and and Gen Z. Like, there is a lot of it's cool to be financially aware. And there's, you know, some great Instagram feeds and stuff to follow. But I find that, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, and it's still somewhat taboo. So it's, you know, not only are you divorced, but then, you you know, it feels like women are like, oh, so now I'm divorced, which feels like a taboo in some areas. And now I've got to get interested in money. Like it, it feels like they're really leaving a place of security, even though it's the best thing you can do, particularly in divorce, you do need to be educated about what your rights are under the law, and then how to use the money that you get to create the life you want. Exactly. And, and it's interesting because um, I, I agree. I think, you know, millennials seem to be more accepting of, you know, the idea of women earning their own money and focusing on money. Um, but even there, it's like they've had to feminize it in a way because, you know, you mentioned girl boss and that's a term right. that gets thrown around a lot. <laughs> yes. and, you know, I'm a Gen Xer <laughs> as well. And so like you, for me, the term girl um, you know, from the feminist movement and whatnot, that yes. would be viewed as a derogatory term. We're women, we're not girls. Yes. Um, and so girl boss, you know, it's funny because even on my own social media, sometimes I'm, you know, reluctant to use that as a hashtag because I don't want to get grief from people saying, well, why are you calling yourself a girl? <laughs> You're not a girl. I know. Um, I debate so, that one too. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, and I, I, I don't have a, myself, I don't have a problem with the term at all, but you know, I have had people say that to me. And so I think it's funny that even when we're, you know, trying to be empowered or not just trying to be, we are empowered and we're earning money and we're being bosses and entrepreneurs, we're still having to kind of feminize it and say girl boss rather than just yes. boss, you know, or woman yeah. boss. No, or it's whatever. true. That's, it's an excellent point. And it's, it is, it's a big hill to climb. And so, you know, when clients are going through divorces, it is, it can, especially, you know, if you've, um, if your ex has had an affair and you're already dealing with these kind of self-image issues when it comes to your femininity, and then all of a sudden you're, you're you know, you need to understand legal issues and money issues, and these are things that have typically been more in the male domain. It really is an identity shift. So, I mean, the very first thing I do, which you know, a lot of more money coaches don't do, is it's you know, do a vision board and. Behind the vision board, you know, if you have a pair of, you know, Christian Louboutin shoes up there, what does that mean? I mean, sometimes you just want the shoes and I totally get that. But is it that the shoes also connote, you know, the power in the stiletto, the ability to afford that shoe? Without yeah, they're a symbol about of success. You know, they're a you symbol know, of right? success, you know, being tall, being assertive. And so, you know, it's not always about the shoe. And so it's kind of digging behind the feeling and then saying, you know, so, so many women that I know, they were almost on allowances. And so they want to then structure their support payments to look like an allowance. And I say, you know, sometimes think about what you really want. If you're if your kids are grown and launched, maybe you want to go back to school, maybe you want to start a business, maybe you want, you know, a lump sum of capital so you can launch your empire. Like, don't just think about the dynamic of what you're comfortable with. 
think about what you really, really want. Like if we could remove some of these barriers and fears, like what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And then, you know, work with your lawyer to structure that. And, you know, it's kind of cool to see clients then come into their own and gain agency because, you know, they sort of start in this position of this is being done to me, this is being taken away from me. And then suddenly they realize, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm going to be getting half and I can do whatever I want with that. You know, I always say, I don't think when you were a little girl, and people asked you as a five-year-old what you wanted to be. I don't think your answer was a Stepford wife. You know, I really don't. So let's go back to that little girl and figure out who is she? What did she want to do? Because you may now have the ability to do that. So, you know, it's really getting you back. Like I always suggest clients go back and wear the perfume that they wore in like high school or university or the shampoo or whatever. Like tap back into that girl woman, <laughs> girl, <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> and see who was she? Where did she yeah. go? Do you want to get her back? Because you can. Divorce is a great big do over button. It's a great big reset button. And so it can be exciting. It's scary and overwhelming and maybe as unwanted a time as it is. It can also be a time of reinvention. And that's exciting. I totally agree. And that's what I, you know, tell my clients as well is that, you know, yes, um, you know, as you begin the separation and divorce process, it's going to be hard and things are probably going to feel worse before they feel better. But it really is an opportunity to hit the reset button and be, you know, be the person you always want it to be, because now you don't have to compromise with someone else. You don't have to get their permission or agreement or, you know, whatever it might be to do what you want to do and to spend your money how you want to spend it. It's, it's up to you and it can be very freeing and empowering. It can. Absolutely. It really can be. And, um, but you are kind of breaking out of the system. And so, you know, part of the coaching exercise is all of the areas in your life that are going to change. You know, if you're used to playing tennis in a foursome at the club and you're the only divorced one, dynamic shift. Sometimes your friends, you know, don't want you to be around their husbands. Like it can be a crazy time and you're looking at so many different things and it's, you know, just trying to take them one by one. But as I, I mean, my kind of tagline is it's easier to grieve from your beach house. Take care of yourself financially first And then you can, you know, go through the in-depth therapy, go through the soul searching, figure out, you know, career plans. But for women who just say, well, it's all his, he earned it all. And then they want to walk away from negotiating a good agreement. Like so many people I know don't trust their lawyers. And that that's the thing I say, you know, vet them carefully before you make the hire, but then trust them, you know, trust them. And so if they're saying this money is yours, trust them on that. Yeah, no, and it's unfortunate. I think lawyers do a very bad PR job. But we're also as a profession, I find there's just so many people out there constantly criticizing us. And uh, to be honest, I find there's a lot of divorce coaches and mediators out there and their whole marketing uh, plan is based on criticizing lawyers. And I, you know, I feel that that's really unfortunate, because, you know, we're all on the same team. And at the end of the day, most people going through a divorce do need a lawyer. Um, oh, for sure. That's like one of the fundamental, you know, things that yeah. they need. And um, I feel like I find at times I, I get annoyed with some of the um, marketing materials I see for some mediators and, and coaches, because I feel like they expect me to refer them business, but then they're often undermining 
you yeah. know, my profession and they're hurting, you know, trying to undermine people's trust in us that, oh, we're just out for money and we're going to take you to court and we're going to run up your legal bill and we're this and that. When the reality is, you know, most of us are not like that. Like in every not profession, at all. there's bad apples. But yeah, I, uh, I won't work with a client who does not have a lawyer. I just won't work with them. So I'll work with them a couple of sessions to help them prepare to get a lawyer. Like we talk about divorce processes. We talk about questions to ask when you're interviewing potential attorneys. But if, you know, by the third session, they still have not picked up the phone to be calling lawyers, I won't work with them. I mean, and one, because they want to then rely on their coach for legal advice, which is not an area I'm trained to play in at all and would never want to. Um, but I just don't think it serves them well. I mean, I've had to deal with family lawyers on three different occasions, um, you know, two marital, one for something a bit different. And they've always really, I think, cared about me, cared about my case, wanted to safeguard the family assets. I mean, they really approached it from a, a stewardship perspective that I have so much respect for. So, you know, I, I hear bad things about family lawyers. I've never personally experienced that, though. I think that I just think it's a it's a caring bunch of people who wants the best for the overall family. Oh, exactly. Now, what should we be teaching young women about money? I mean, the big thing is the mindset. I think it's that, you know, money isn't this because money has a, a language, you know, there's a lot of acronyms when it comes to different, you know, investment tools. People sort of think that, well, that's for other people. That's for finance people. That's for people who like math. I think if we started to teach people young um, that money is just about, you know, an exchange of energy for work done and it gives you freedom and power and control and options. Um, it's not a bad thing. It's not a scary or confusing thing. And you can hire experts to help you with it. You just need to know enough so that you can, you know, hire someone who is going to be, uh, you know, a good person to manage your money. Um, but I think it, it's the whole mindset. Like we, we always hear this, you know, money is the root of all evil and dirty money. And, you know, even shows on television about money, it's, you know, yeah. usually about corruption. And so it's reframing it to say, it's about options. I mean, I say to clients, look, if you don't want, because a lot of women, especially if there's been, you know, sort of abuse in the background, they're like, I don't want his money. And I'm like, take it. If you want to give it then to a women's shelter, or if you want to start up a not-for-profit or something, great. But Give yourself the power, control, freedom to A, separate yourself from him and money will better allow you to do that. And B, then you can decide what you want to do with it. You know, it, it, it doesn't have to be a bad thing, you know, and it is the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money is the root of all evil. Money is just how, you know, we exchange energy. I'm going to do some work. And you're going to pay me for it. You're going to do some work. I'm going to pay you for it. That's it. I, we make it too complicated in some ways. I agree. Now, one problem that I often have with or see happening with clients is that they get so overwhelmed in the divorce process that they have trouble making decisions. And now I know that you uh, are a bit of an expert on this topic and you even wrote a book. So can you tell listeners about your book and what strategies you have to help people make these tough decisions when they're feeling so overwhelmed? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wrote a book on making business decisions um, called Engage the Fox. And in that, you know, I, it's actually written like a like a fable, you know, with forest animals making decisions about <laughs> running a newspaper. So, you know, it's pretty easy to digest. And that's about, you know, it's just a four-step module to, you know, gathering information, generating some ideas, evaluating that information, and then, you know, finding a solution that works for all parties involved. What I find with divorce, however, like business decision-making, you tend to be in your logical brain. For divorce, you are in your primitive brain. You are just reacting in fight or flight. So, I mean, the very first thing I do with clients is damage control. So I've written a book that's coming out on January the 26th called The Design Divorce. Um, and I walk through a six-step process um, damage control, education, self-care, the impacts of divorce, goals, and then new beginnings. And it's really in step five that you're making decisions. Now, this can happen really fast, but it's containing some of those emotions. Like, I'm not saying take a year to be in bed and cry, but take a couple of days. You know, writing a letter of apology from your ex that you'll never get because you know, I, again, one of the lines I always use with clients is emotional justice is never found in a courtroom. So if you're looking for your divorce to give you emotional justice or to somehow, you know, correct the wrongs, you're never going to get it. So it's about, you know, self-partnering, giving yourself lots of love, self-talk, coming up with a vision of the life that you want. And then we start to get really specific about how you can get those goals met through your settlement. So it's really, once clients see a vision of life beyond divorce, and they can start to get excited about that vision, whether it's, you know, yeah, I'm going to get a house and it, it may be smaller, but I'm going to decorate it exactly like I want. Like it's getting them excited about the future. And then I find those conversations that they have with legal and financial professionals, they just are so much more effective because they're not in that, like, I want to punish the person. Um, because then you start dropping into all of these cognitive biases that have you make bad decisions. Like one of the biggest one, I mean, it's, you know, the fancy name for its reactive devaluation, but it's, you feel like you can never get a good deal from a person you don't like. And the reality is if your lawyer's telling you this is a good settlement, even though you may not like your ex and you may think that they are out to get you, and those things may be true, it can still be a good settlement. So, you know, once you're vision focused, goal focused, future focused, you're more likely to say, does this settlement give me the options that I want? Forget who it's coming from. You know, just look at the settlement itself and try to get those other emotions out of the way. And the more focused you are on your vision and goals, the easier it is to do that. The more you can start to relax into your logical brain because you're no longer in that heightened emotional state. So that's really my job is to take people from those initial days where they don't know which end is up and start to get them excited about a future and then make some good decisions so that they can get there. What advice do you have uh, for somebody who is contemplating separation and wants to protect their money? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, you know, talk, talk to a lawyer. The reality is, a lot of things, and you know, you'll know this better than me, but they sort of shake out in the wash. So the first thing you're going to need is some cash on hand so that you can 
retain a lawyer. So, you know, especially if, if women don't have access to money, and I deal with a lot of women who are dealing with financial abuse. I mean, they have, they may be driving a Range Rover and going to a private club, but they really can't access cash. And so it's, you know, whether you have to sell bags, borrow from friends or family, you know, it's about setting aside some money so that you can retain a lawyer. Because once you retain a lawyer, you know, bank accounts can be freed up, things can happen, but you need to get to that point. If you're contemplating it over the long run, one of the mistakes I find a lot of clients do is, you know, we're sort of at the age now where some of us are getting inheritances from parents. And if you do see a separation down the line, just keep that separate, you know, don't pay down the house, don't commingle it, because again, it makes it so much more difficult for your, for your lawyer to see that as a separate asset rather than a marital asset. So, you know, again, if you're contemplating divorce, talk to a lawyer about your financial situation so that they can help guide you. You know, that's, I mean, I find just the best advice. I'm very pro-lawyer, which makes <laughs> me unusual for a coach. But I mean, that has been why I have got through my divorces as well as I have. It's because I've received some great legal advice. Now, I know on your website that you offer a course. So can you tell uh, listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the courses um, will be launched this spring. So basically, it's going to be an online version where I, I teach people this design method of getting through their divorce. I just find that, you know, I, I charge a, a good, healthy fee. Um, and so my work is not available to some people that, you know, it's just an affordability issue. So I'm, you know, I will be walking people through damage control so that you can get to a place where you can use your logical brain uh, education. There's kind of seven key divorce pitfalls. So it's learning to avoid those self care. And it's not like a bubble bath. It's about like establishing boundaries. If you're dealing with a narcissistic ex, communication strategies for dealing with them. So this is like self care. That's, really going to move the needle and help you. The impacts of divorce, all the changes that you can anticipate so that you're not surprised when, you know, you're in legal discussions and the guy says, oh, I don't want you to attend the same church that I do, you know, like really understand all the things that can change so that you can, you know, think in advance about how you want to handle some of those issues. Um, how to set goals, so smart goals, really specific goals that are going to help you and then how to articulate that to your lawyer. And then new beginnings, like how to actually do this stuff once it's behind you, how to move into your new life. Sometimes it's about new friendships and, you know, a little bit on dating. Um, so it's really getting you from those early days to where you're feeling better. So it's, it's a, um, you know, you, you could do the modules as you feel. So some people will do it over a year. Some people want to do it all at once, but it's the things I found helpful through my divorces. And then all the stuff that I've learned since then through all my training and client work. It sounds fantastic. It's, it sounds like it'll be a great course uh, for people. Um, certainly, um, you know, if I come across anyone in, you know, in, of my clients who I think could benefit uh, by it, I'll certainly direct them your way. Uh, how can listeners find you if they would like to work with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so everything, information about uh, the course, the book that's coming out, it's all on my website, Designed. So Designed Past Tense. 
uh, designdivorce.com. And you can find my contact information. You can book a free 15-minute consultation session with me if you think that coaching is something you might be interested in. I also do concierge work where I'll help people um, gather a divorce team. So, you know, help them come up with a short list of lawyers, finance people, you know, business valuators, therapists, parenting coordinators, and, um, you know, some questions so that they can screen for fit. So, you know, I don't amass the divorce team for you, but I can help um, get a short list together for clients who really feel overwhelmed and can afford for me to do some of that legwork. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining me today. You provided some really helpful information and I really appreciate you taking the the time out to come on the podcast. Great. I just so appreciate the work you're doing as a family lawyer. And, you know, you're just so in tune with the other professionals that can help people. And I don't know, it's amazing. I'm certainly going to be referring you to to my GTA clients. So this was a wonderful session. Yeah, Yeah, it was great to finally connect. You know, you see people, someone on social media, and you feel, as we were saying before we start recording, you feel like you know them. But, uh, you know, it is so nice just to have had this conversation and uh, for me to get a better understanding, too, of your services, uh, because they sound fantastic. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Well, thank you. And thank you to my listeners. Please tune in each week. Please like, please refer friends and family and anyone you know who might be struggling through the challenges of divorce to listen to the podcast. Please subscribe and please come back each week to Divorcing Well. Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives bounce back, and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring. I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people that you know need support, need help, that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do. Have an open discussion and not write us off and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't assume my limits mm-hmm. for me. You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you have to, you have, to have hope. Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.